Senator Manchin in uh, Manchin in uh, San Anselm College, where we're going to be broadcasting live primary day and evening. Packed House John Decker on White House correspondent for Joe Manchin. He's there on behalf of No Labels. But speaking of folks that have a lot of time in the hands, I guess there was a lot of climate activists this morning choking the area around St. Anselm's with Manchin's appearance for No Labels, making some threats. Heavy police presence, according to some of our folks there. Of course, Manchin's from where? West Virginia. Energy jobs. So there you have it. But John Decker... Donald Trump, the big question with the primary, New Hampshire's primary, after the caucuses, uh, the caucus process in Iowa this Monday is, will Trump hold on and pull a big win off here in the primary over presumably Nikki Haley, or will Nikki Haley catch Trump in the end if independents show up in big numbers? And if Trump goes on to be the nominee, who might he choose as a VP? Sources say he's pretty much narrowed down the list. Maybe Christy Noem of South Dakota is two or three on the list. I don't know who number one is. John Decker, White House correspondent. Take it away. Good morning, John. Well, that's right. You know, the reason why we're talking about who his running mate may be, and keep in mind, of course, as we have this conversation, no votes have been cast in any state, New Iowa, New Hampshire, anywhere. But we're talking about the person who is the likely Republican nominee. Uh, And he brought up this uh, particular issue in that Fox News town hall just the other night. He asked about whether or not he has a running mate in mind, and he says he does. Uh, didn't give any hints as to who that would be. We typically don't know who the running mate for any presidential candidate is going to be until the convention. The Republican convention, of course, happens mid-July in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, so six months away from knowing who Donald Trump's number two might be. But you mentioned Christy Noem, Elise Stefanik, a Republican congresswoman from New York State, another option for him, Former uh, the current senator from South Carolina, former presidential uh, candidate Tim Scott is another possibility. Let me throw out one more wild card. How about a ticket, Jack, of Trump slash Trump? How about if Donald Trump chooses one of his adult children, Donald Trump Jr., Ivanka Trump as his running mate, to keep his legacy going beyond wow. the four years that he could only serve as president of the United States? I mean, the only flashback in history, John Decker would be Kennedy choosing Bobby as uh, AG, but not a running mate. Wow, wow. You never know. Wow. I mean, and Senator Scott's never an know. Inter- interesting uh, thought because of where, John? Where? South Carolina, right? Right after New Hampshire. <laughs> That's right. All right, John, thank you. Thanks so much, Jack. It's Friday. Kevin Landry, New Hampshire leader. Kevin, I'm chuckling only because there's so much going on, and I want to know if you're down with those climate activists at St. Anselm College that sort of disrupted and protested before the Senator Manchin event for no labels at the college because uh, they're anti-energy. Are you down there, Kevin? Are you at the St. A's? Yes, I am. Yeah, we're in, inside the New Hampshire Institute of Politics. Uh, Joe Manchin's wrapping up his uh, remarks and answering questions now. There was a small group of protesters outside, but they clearly didn't have any impact on the event inside the building. No, but, but I, I concerned a friend's trying to get in. I guess there was a heavy police presence out there because of, there I don't know if you heard there, about some possible threats. No, there was, and there was there was a lot. New England Council that runs the event had heard there were concerns that there were going to be disruptive um, protests inside the event, and that's why you have you know um, the Hillsborough County Sheriff's Office, Goffstown Police, Manchester Police as well here, uh, and they they very carefully um, reviewed everybody coming into the building and leaving the building um, and. So the event itself is going off as is, you know. And Manchin, Manchin addressed the issue today and basically said, you know, what 
What the left wants to do is try to eliminate their way to clean climate. And he's saying we need to innovate our way through clean climate, whether it's new technologies and innovation and not simply uh, get rid of uh, fossil fuel sources because that's just not sustainable in the American economy. Did he talk at all about the current 2024, the primary, third yep. party? Who the I'm hearing Larry Hogan of... Maryland has been on the show, might be stepping down to look at that. There are all kind of rumors on who a third no labels candidate might be. Yeah, he's, he's, his focus in coming here was essentially the group he's formed called Americans Together. And okay. it's similar to no labels, but the, and the emphasis really is to try and recruit candidates to run who are going to be uh, centrist, whether they're Republican or Democrat. They're going to work on forging compromises like he says he has done in the U.S. Senate. So what's the name uh, of his group, Kevin? Americans Together. He's okay, we're correct. Because I thought yep. it was no and labels at the, first. Yep, and this is the first event. They're actually going to Marianne's Diner after this in Derry to meet with voters and have a conversation with them. Um, it's a, a fledgling group. Uh, he didn't – he's not – considering running for anything right now. He's really focused on trying to get this group up and running. Uh, I think he well understands that at the end of the day, a third-party candidacy, unless you're a guy with Kennedy as his last name, um, is not really going to emerge until after Super Tuesday, right, until it's clear whether this is going to be a rematch, just Trump and Biden. And and then you're going to see this momentum start to build for a different alternative, whether it's through the no labels rubric, uh, Americans together, whatever. Um, that's when you'll see this happening. But um, he talked a little bit about how, in his view, the Democratic left has pushed Joe Biden much further liberal than he really was in the U.S. Senate, and he's gotten some things accomplished, but um, he's looking for Biden to be more centrist in the future. And, and I think that's also part of the role he sees right now in this whole presidential race, right? At the end of the day, to try and get Biden to move to the middle and govern from the middle if he gets a second term. Interesting. Kevin, how many people there for this event with Manchin? Pretty much packed? Yeah, it is. Very good crowd and a lot of -of out-of-state people. Uh, Former governor of Massachusetts, Bill Weld is here, um, as well as um, former Manchester mayors, both uh, Bob Baines and Syl Dupuy, who are, of course, Democrats, and Bill Welder moderate Republican, um, a lot of national media here, obviously hanging on every word he has to say and wondering whether um, he could be that third-party candidate. Um, he certainly didn't give any clue that he might be, but he's not ruling it out. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. A lot of, Kevin, just to segue a little bit back this week, if Please. we could. Sure. Uh, Chris Christie, Thursday yeah. afternoon, out. In New Hampshire, he's out of the race. The big question I'm hearing, and, and that St. A's poll where you are at this uh, mansion event, Neil, Neil Levesque's Institute of Politics, uh, came out yesterday afternoon, reflected their first poll that Trump still carries or holds a double-digit lead over Nikki Haley. And if you take Christie's numbers uh, of 9%, assuming 100% go to Haley, not Trump, he still has a lead. The big question after Iowa, we don't know the result of the caucus process on Monday yet, is right. will Trump hold on at about 40 points is what Jeb Bradley predicted on my show last a week or so ago when I pressed him. Will he hold on at about 40 points and win New Hampshire's primary, go on and win, you know, South Carolina, win the nomination, 
with about a 9 or 10 point win over Nikki Haley here, or will it be closer? And that sort of seems, with independents and undeclared taking part, that seems to be the billion-dollar political question right now going into Tuesday's primary, a week from Tuesday. No, it does. There's no question about it. I think um, what's also going to be interesting to see is whether Haley somehow able to get any momentum out of Iowa. And it's a very – I mean, she – she took, she took a risk that folks like John McCain never took, which is try to run in both Iowa and New Hampshire as someone running against an establishment frontrunner, like McCain did against George W. Bush, if you remember. Skipped Iowa, won New Hampshire big, but couldn't sustain it after New Hampshire. She's kind of learned from that lesson that I've got to take something out of Iowa, and that's something, obviously, is a second-place finish. And that's not going to be easy because Ron DeSantis has the Iowa governor – Kim Reynolds on his his side and also has the evangelical community in Iowa who are very strong in the caucus process. Um, people on the ground keep basically saying DeSantis is going to run better than the polls in Iowa Monday night. We'll see. If he's able to do that and create some separation between him and Haley, he's already obviously got a ticket out of Iowa, and he comes here and tries to make it happen. If she can beat him and take second, even if it's far behind Donald Trump, it, then the narrative becomes, yeah, it's a two-person race, and it's Trump and Haley. And, and as we've seen before in presidential primaries in both parties, when it becomes a two-person race in the week before New Hampshire, anything can happen. And often does happen, you know. Yeah. Um, the, the problem Haley has – and. And we really haven't focused on this very much, frankly, because it's not going to be relevant until after New Hampshire. Is how does she follow up even a great showing in New Hampshire? Yeah, even even a victory in New Hampshire, right? Because the next contest is in South Carolina, where Donald Trump right now is winning, beating her, beating her in her own state by more than twenty points. Yeah. Then you go on to Super Tuesday, and states remember, yeah. Jack. Yeah. Eight, you get eight states after. South Carolina that are closed Republican primaries. Yep. Independents do not vote. Yep. And so Donald Trump could very well stumble here and then recover and, and coast to the nomination. And conversely, I think you'd agree, Kevin uh, Landrigan, senior reporter, political reporter, New Hampshire union leader, if Trump ends up winning New Hampshire after right. Iowa and goes on and wins South Carolina, I think it's pretty much over at that point. Yeah, I do too, absolutely. And that's why... New Hampshire is real important uh, for for Trump to kind of quickly wrap up this is nomination it, Kevin, if he can do it. Kevin, it's Friday. Keeping this light for a moment. Isn't it really ironic? Because we don't know yet. Because I think what we're also going to find out a week from Tuesday, it's a Republican primary for the most part. It's not a general election. It's a big event because it's an unusual event. It's not like you're electing a school board seat in Litchfield. It's a presidential primary in New Hampshire a week from Tuesday. But it's largely a Republican primary because the DNC and Biden – to try to take away our primary. So we're going to find out if the New Hampshire Republican base in a primary, not a general election, where Chris Sinon has been very successful, we're going to find out a week from Tuesday if a Republican primary base is the party of Trump in New Hampshire or the party of Sununu. That's my, that's my take. I think it's a real test there to find out if Sununu can really move enough independents or undeclared over to vote 
moderates, if you will, to vote for Nikki. That's the push, right? Let's be honest. No, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's, it's historic. This election is historic. I've been covering politics for 40 years in New Hampshire. I've never seen a presidential race in which you have a front runner in either party who is so popular with his base and so unpopular among independents. Yeah. That's where Donald Trump is right now. Yeah. And that's what's fascinating about this race and so unpredictable about it is. And then on the other side, you have the president who's not even on the ballot. So right. a lot of independents who, who ordinarily might take a Democratic ballot, why bother? So even more will get into this Republican race, and how do they impact it as well? Um, That's what makes it so fascinating. And, you know, Kevin, real quick, it's interesting. I had thought with all the Republicans running for the primary against Trump, with Trump, DeSantis, when he came out, announced, or before he announced, got reelected in Florida. He was the big number one draft choice for Republicans. You had all these Republicans, you know, Mike Pence, former vice president. I could go on and on. Nikki Haley, all these people. Vivek Ramaswamy came on strong and then kind of, you know, leveled up. And Trump. I thought there was a bigger chance that a different nominee would emerge on the Republican side than the former president than on the Democrat side with an incumbent Democrat president, Joe Biden. I'm ironically looking at New Hampshire and the tea leaves beyond. I think there's a greater chance, you heard it here, that by the time the Democrats get to their convention, it's either going to be a brokered convention or there's going to be another top choice for Democrats other than the incumbent President Joe Biden. And there's probably a better than good chance that it's going to end up being Trump for the Republicans. I would have thought that would have been the flip going into this. Yeah, that's interesting. That's a really good point. I think uh, certainly the jury is still out on that. I mean, the if you're a Biden supporter in New Hampshire and you support the primary, you're really hoping for a good turnout on the Democratic side. And and that's going to be the story Wednesday or Thursday after this primary is not did Biden win the right in because he is going to win the right. It is how many Democrats turned out to vote in New Hampshire. And if it's a really depressed turnout, the message basically going to be to the leadership nationally is uh, maybe we need to turn to someone else. Yeah. For right, the Kevin, next four years. All right, Kevin Landrigan, New Hampshire Leader. Thank you on a Friday at the Mansion event. And the name of his group, once again, is? Americans Together. All right. Thank you, Kevin. Take care, Jack. State Senator Lou, now formerly number 87, UNH Wildcats, D'Alessandro, leading Democrat state senator. Good morning, Senator. Hey, good morning, Jack. It was a great event here with Senator Beach. Great event. And I understand Gerard Mayo has just been named the yes. head coach of the New England Patriots. That's magnificent. I think it's he's great. A, he's a he's a great coach. He's a great coach, and I think he'll he'll do wonders for the for the Pats. But Jack, I agree. Quickly, I agree. I know how busy you are. Listen, uh, Mansion was outstanding. I don't think I've ever heard anybody as articulate uh, and as uh, honest as as his appraisal was of government. It's a mess. It's a mess because people can't get together. They can't talk to one another. Right. Uh, and, and if it doesn't get better, we're all in deep trouble for the future. I agree. I concur. And you know, what I love about you is you can say that, and he's not, quote-unquote, uh, you know, he's a Democrat, but you're talking about the way New Hampshire operates and, the, you know, the way Washington needs to get back to, uh, you know, finding the common ground even if you don't agree. You've got to. And I think, you know, I've, I've tried to do that all of my life. I've been in the Senate for 26 years. I've been in this business for 50. I, I stand by everything I, I have done. And I think the bill's the place to be. He articulated that. we got to get there for the benefit of the country and the benefit of the, of the world. 
You know, Jack, I saw that rainbow yesterday. It was the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. It was as clear and concise as any rainbow I've ever seen. And think about that. We all we all have to think about the rainbow because the rainbow is our path, our path to well, complacency and our, our path to success. It's a wonderful thing. We've right. got to do it. I love your optimism. Senator Lou, on a Friday, I'll let you get back to the event. Thank you for checking in, Senator Lou D'Alessandro. Oh. Lion, Lion of the Senate. Thank you, Jack. Stay happy, stay healthy, and have a great, great, great America Day. Thank you. Talking about the law enforcement front and fatality trends, and the National Law Enforcement Memorial Fund is releasing its analysis of police officer deaths last year. And CEO Bill Alexander, I've not had Alexander, I've not had the good fortune of meeting or having Bill on the show. But guess what? I want to meet him. I want to get to know him, get him on the show more because I applaud this information. Thank him for what he's doing. Thank all people in law enforcement and first responders and public safety for what they do. We have a recruitment crisis right here at home because not enough people want to go into protecting the public. And this is a story that the national media is so dumbed down on, they don't know the difference. And if you look at why people are leaving major cities and crime in urban America, is people peed on the police department for so many years, guess what? They're not always going to be there, right? And guess what? I'm a big fan of law enforcement, our state police segment, every Thursday morning here brought to you by Autofare. Protecting the public does matter, folks. And uh, Bill joining us live. Good morning, Hampshire, the Pulse of an Age. Thank you, sir. Well, Jack, man, I'm I'm so touched to hear everything you just said. I'm a retired police officer myself. Uh, I, I just have to say to you, thank you. Thank you for using your voice and your platform to advocate for law enforcement and to help tell the story of the men and women who have died in the line of duty, 136 of them in 2023. So thank you. Thank you no, so much. I'm, no, I'm blessed to have the show and the stations we're on here in New England. Bill, I'm going to make an unofficial offer, but I'll follow through on I haven't met you. I want to follow up offline. I want to extend to you a monthly segment on the show just to be on once a month to tell us, you know, your thoughts and what you're seeing, not just once a year. Because, Bill, um, I, I'm going to tell you one more thing. We're on a network of news talk stations here. So, j Dog, did you book Bill through our, our friends at the uh, NBC? Yes. Yep. We're on stations in, uh, across New England, Bill. And every Thursday, we just celebrated our 15th anniversary around Thanksgiving. Every Thursday, I started this when I brought the show here, uh, we are the only network bill of commercial news talk stations in the country how sad is this even in texas that every thursday we have a dedicated 12 or 15 segment a 15 minute segment right here on the show featuring the stories of men and women in public safety and law enforcement and uh, amber with the state police puts together the guest yesterday we had a state trooper who works with homeland security because this is the month on human trafficking and they have a task force here so the whole segment was just the numbers and next week it could be, you know, uh, distracted driving. We've been doing this for 15 years, once a week, featuring the men and women in law enforcement. And I think it's imperative that more people do that because 99.9% of the people I know who are police officers, first responders, sheriff deputies, part-time, full-time local police are just trying to protect and serve and make the public a safer place to live in. But that's just what, what do I know, Bill? Well, you're preaching to the choir. Everything you just said, I, I vociferously and very strongly support and, uh, you know, affirm. So, again, thank you. Thank you so much for being a voice in support of law enforcement. It's exactly what we need. Well, Bill, tell us about your role as CEO in these numbers in 2023, because you know what I've not heard in five years now from ABC, NBC, any of them? How many law enforcement officers, let's just say two years ago, 
last year, literally were attacked in the line of duty just for wearing the uniform or sitting in a cruiser at an intersection. How many um, law enforcement officers were, were called to a domestic dispute and when they tried to get in the building to save lives were shot and killed? How many officers were killed just ser- serving a warrant from someone trying to sell fentanyl? I'm just curious, what are the numbers, Bill? Well, the numbers, let me blow through the initial report numbers real quick, and then I'll talk to you about the attacks. 136 men and women died in the line of duty in 2023. That's down pretty substantially from 2022 when we had 224 such deaths. The reality is a big chunk of that reduction is related to COVID-19, where from 2022 we had 74 such deaths, and in 2023 we're reporting five. So the reality is that's a big chunk of it. But we really are down in every other major category we track, I think, traffic fatalities and firearms fatalities. Now, I say the term firearms fatalities, and it's sort of jargony, but what I'm really talking about is men and women out on our streets being shot and killed, our police officers being shot and killed, and of course, there's the word for that, murder. Now, that number is down from 2022 when we had 64 such deaths, but you're talking about attacks on police officers, and here's where I'm going to circle it around to my friend and and our partners, the Fraternal Order of Police. They also just released their end-of-year report, and they're really focused on the number of times a police officer has been shot. Not necessarily that they succumb to the injury and die, but the number of times police officers have been shot. And they're really only tracking those cases where the officer has actually been struck, shot and struck with a round. That number for 2023 was 378. And it is by far the highest number they have ever found or reported since they began tracking that data. And it has stair-stepped up every single year over the last six years. So it's very hard for me to juxtapose that number, 378, against the number I'm reporting of those who died of those gunshot injuries is 47. I think I could make a very strong argument that the conditions right now on the streets for the men and women doing the job are as dangerous as they have ever been in the history of our country and are becoming increasingly dangerous. Uh, As you noted, that there are and have been and continue to be attacks on the men and women in uniform out there trying to protect us. You know, Bill, so many thoughts you evoke – um, and I want to just take a moment. I don't want to rush this. If you have, do you have a few minutes? Sure. Um, you know, let's just take New England and New Hampshire, Maine. I think we do a better job here in our communities of supporting our local public safety officials. I think people, if you're waiting in line for coffee or, you know, you're in the store or you're getting gas, I think, I think for the most part, at least I, when I see someone, I always quietly say thank you. Like when I see a veteran or military, thank you for what you do. But I think we have their back more. But around the country, that's not the case in some of our bigger cities and urban areas, places like Chicago, and, or, and I could go on, uh, New York City, Atlanta. And, and you know what worries me is young people need to enter the profession. Here in New Hampshire, Bill, you'd be interested to know this. State police, wonderful, honorable, professional organization. I think it's a noble career. Do you know in New Hampshire, and we're only like 1.3 million people, Bill, State police, I don't know how many sworn. I, I mean, I, the colonel's on, they're on a lot. I'm guessing it's mid-200s. I, maybe it's not 300. Do you know in New Hampshire they have almost 75 or 80 openings right now? I think it's over 75 for a full-time position in the state. 75. Not, I mean, that's a big number, I think, of openings, isn't it? Oh, my gosh. Well, unfortunately, you are addressing what I called the greatest existential crisis facing law enforcement today, and it is by far the number one problem, is recruitment and retention. 
uh, you are addressing or at least talking about the number one problem in my mind. Every single law enforcement agency that I'm aware of is undermanned. The agency I just left that I retired from is authorized 1800, and they are right now in the 1450s. Where, where were you? Where were you? Where were you on, Bill? That, I was with the Prince George's County Police Department, which borders D.C. to the east. It's a county in Maryland. Wow. A really a pretty densely populated urban so, uh, area. So let me ask a question. If someone in the middle of the night, some nut job breaks into their house and their kids and their wives are threatened, they call 911 and the officers aren't there because there's not enough people working in the profession, who's going to come help that family? Well, is the question of the day. You know, law enforcement agencies and their leaders are shifting resources to try to accommodate and at least be able to answer those 911 calls. They're not always able to do that successfully, or at least not to the degree that they get the response time that they otherwise want. But that does filter into every other aspect of law enforcement. I mean, if you had your home burglarized and you want a detective to be looking at fingerprints and video and trying to find the suspect who's responsible, but they're out answering 911 calls, something has to give. And uh, certainly lots across law enforcement is giving as they just do not have the bodies and you know it's such an honor but it's not just law enforcement national guard public safety emts firefighters and you know what we did is we did it to ourselves bill not you thank you again for what you do and i'm going to let you tell the website and how people can follow up with you and i would love to follow up with you offline j-dog if you can get bill's contact and i'd love to have him on the show more often but bill um if if you know for a couple for several years in this country I saw people just basically not stand up and say, hey, not all police officers are bad. They do a very good job. They're understaffed. They're overworked. They're not really the problem here. And no one stood up. And so we have this anti-police sentiment that went on for years. So why would a young person or your own kid, Bill, why would you want him or her to become a police officer in New York City if they're going to be urinated on, spit on, or shot at? Why would you want your kid to do that? Yeah, you are absolutely right. My son is getting ready to turn 20 years old. He has expressed interest in law enforcement in the past. And, and if I'm being honest, I don't know that I would encourage him to do so. I mean, if he wants to, I would obviously say I think it's an amazing career so, and very honorable, but it's as tough as it's ever been. So who wins or loses in a lawless society? I'll tell you, the criminals. <laughs> that's why That's why in San Francisco you get 20 people in the middle of the afternoon going to the Nordstrom, Nordstrom and just stealing what they want because they know that's going to happen to them. Hey, Bill, real quickly. Website, follow-up, thank you again. Love to follow up with you. What's the best way people can get in touch with you? Website is nleomf.org. It stands for National Law Enforcement Officers Memorial Fund. Anyone can shoot me an email at balexander at nleomf.org. It's an incredibly generous offer. You're tossing my way, and I would love to take you up on it. I'd love to talk with you anytime you otherwise want to talk about law enforcement or fallen officers. Well, let's so try and do what we do here nationally. I'd love to move it around the country. Real quickly, I just found out from J-Dog, my buddy here, Clint Eastwood is your honorary chairman. I love it even more. He is indeed. And actually, right now, he's got a matching gift offer. Anyone who wants to donate to us, he will match that uh, gift. So anyone who's otherwise interested in donating to what I might argue is a worthwhile charitable cause, uh, nleomf.org, and Clint yeah, Eastwood will match your gift. Love him. Thank you, Bill. I uh, appreciate Thank what, you, thank so you for much. what you do. All right. We'll be in touch. Thank, thank you. you. Take uh, care. Right. The great one, not Wayne Gretzky, Aaron Real, NBC News Radio National Cards. Correspondent on a Friday. Good morning, Aaron. How are you? So kind. Thank you. So I want you to know my third bottle of plastic purified water, bottled water, this morning. Because after your report the other day, I went on and read about tap water, 
municipal city town well water oh god yeah. <laughs> and it was so I discouraging know, i know i know like it, where do you go <laughs> no it was so discouraging at the end of the day i finally just said you know what because all the stuff that can be in your drinking water even if you use a purifier i don't think it gets it all out everything from drugs and chemicals and pesticides i'm going to stick with the plastics all right i know it's Listen, it's brutal. I agree with you completely. It, like, you don't know where to go. You're like, should we go with plastic or should we go with chlorine? What, uh, yeah. what would you prefer? Yeah. Yep. All right. Aaron Real, Missoula's Radio National Correspondent. Red Sea crisis in the economy. A lot going on with Ukraine, Israel, the Middle East. Take it away, Aaron. Of course, we know there were some strikes in Yemen uh, with us and the British against some sites that I think were justified terrorist sites backed by Tehran. But that's my view. Yep, and that we woke up to that this morning, this U.S.-led coalition between the U.S., the U.K. We also had help from Canada, Netherlands, Australia. We hit dozens of Houthi rebel targets in Yemen. We did this just two days after the Yemeni rebel forces. They basically defied this ultimatum that we gave them. We said, stop attacking commercial ships in the Red Sea. They did not. The strikes Friday morning, they targeted radar systems, defense systems, launch sites, Houthis already vowing retaliation. They took to X and they said that America and Britain will undoubtedly have to prepare to pay for the he- a heavy price and bear all dire consequences for this blatant aggression. Houthi rebels in Yemen have been attacking these ships uh, in retaliation to Israel. Israel's continued attacks on Hamas in Gaza, the Palestinian enclave. Quick reminder. Houthi rebels backed by Iran, as are as is Hamas. This creates a lot of knock-on effects, and the stakes are very high for the global economy. Oil prices already at four percent, uh, trading four percent higher this morning. And then Houthis who have attacked 27 ships in the Red Sea, which, by the way, is what then leads to the Suez Canal, which then leads to the Mediterranean. So basically, everything going from Asia to the Mediterranean is now being moved around the Cape of Good Hope. And I shouldn't say everything, just yeah. the biggest shipping container companies, yeah. Maersk, MSC, Hapag Lloyd. The knock-on effects are going to be big financially. Aaron, I'm going to follow up with some commentary. I'll spare you from it, talking about the Red Sea and the attacks. Thank you very much. Thank you, Jack. Aaron Real, NBC News Radio, National Correspondent Live. Let me just take, oh, we have Dr. Vic? Okay, well then I was going to hold my commentary, but I'm going to make it succinct and he can react because he's reporting live out there battling climate activist at St. Anselm College where Senator Manchin spoke. Let me just say one thing about the attacks last night coordinated with allies. We attacked terrorists. We struck at terrorists in Yemen. People forget almost 20 plus years ago the USS Cole attacked in Yemen. We attacked terrorists backed by Tehran who also back Hamas and Hezbollah. And we should attack terrorists. And we should have done what we did last night. And, and kudos to the Biden administration and the defense and our military. Should have done it sooner. That's just me, and I'm not running for president. And by the way, we're, these terrorists are making us go around Cape Horn. A longer way to go to bring goods here. And if you really feel and you want to protest like some of these nut jobs in New York, you know, Times Square this morning, if you really feel that way, why don't you adopt a terrorist from Yemen? Seriously, why don't you adopt a terrorist if you feel that way? Just some commentary. 603-228-2080. Dr. Vic, good morning. Good morning, Jack. How are you? Well, fired up this morning. I can see that. I got another thing that's going to fire you up a little more if you let me talk about it. But take I'll it away. Take no, no, take All it right, away. Well, so <laughs> one of the things I was going to tell you about yesterday, Johns Hopkins, their diversity, equity, and inclusion officer, put out a statement. Uh, I think it was uh, earlier this week, might have been late last week, 
And in that statement, it said diversity word of the month. And the diversity word of the month was privilege. And Jack here, I'm going to just read from it for you. It says, in the United States, privilege is granted to people who have membership in one or more of these social identity groups. Number one, white people. Number two, able-bodied people. Number three, heterosexuals. Number four, cisgender people. Number five, males. Number six, Christians, middle or owning class people, middle-aged people, English-speaking people. The list goes on. I thought you'd get a kick out of that. So what person with human rabies, what group is this? (laughs) This is Johns Hopkins University, their Office of Diversity, Inclusion, and Health Equity. Put this off. Their chief diversity officer. So they have an outbreak of human rabies at John Hopkins? (laughs) I'm just telling you, I figured this could get you all riled up on a Friday. But no, look, I was at the mansion event. The world's gone nuts. The other thing that gets you riled up is everyone that's benefiting from uh, good fossil fuels, cheap, cheap, reliable energy. Uh, They seem to be upset about the life they have because of those energy options. Um, So, yeah, there were some protests there. Uh, Not not that big a deal. Uh, Small, very contained, uh, but definitely visible to people going in and out of the event. Um, Okay, so Manchin's message, good one. Well, Well attended. Was it packed? Good crowd? No, solid crowd, Jack. The room was pretty full. Uh, I wouldn't say overflowing, but pretty full. And I think the message was well-received for that crowd. crowd was a very moderate, maybe even left-leaning crowd a little bit. He's talking about a very logical, commonsensical message, which is we need to get stuff done. We need to get government work. We need to sort of cross the aisle if necessary. Um, And, uh, you know, the part that resonated with me was his stuff that has all the people upset. He talked about energy and how, listen, we need, uh, you know, we got to have our own energy. We should be producing as many barrels of oil here as possible, uh, that it's good for our economy, that he said we want to innovate out rather than eliminate uh, policies uh, around energy dependence. So that was the part that resonated with a lot of other stuff about how we can work together, stuff that wasn't new. And look, there's there's far more informed uh, political analysts, guys like Matt Bartlett, who I think can really help you make sense of what else he said. But that was the part that caught my attention. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, and you know what? He, and go ahead. But I was going to say, it's his third trip up here, right? So, yeah. uh, you know, okay, what? You're coming. He sure looked like he wants to run for president, shaking hands when he came in, went around to every table at the end, sort of, you know, get the, the press all around him, the paparazzi uh, sort of feeling. Um, but again, you know, if it's just sharing the message we've all heard, okay. I've heard this before from him. We know what he stands for. And, you know, but is he going to come up with an option? Does he want to run? What's he doing? What's no label going to be doing? Um, I, none of that came across. All right. Good stuff. Dr. Vic, we'll catch up with you this afternoon live from St. Anselm College. Dr. Vic Romantramani navigating uncertainty as guest this week's former U.S. Senator Rob Portman. His new yep. book, The Generalist. Check out the cover. You're going to love it just on your coffee <laughs> table. Thank you, Vic. All right. Thanks, Jack. Sometimes when the Bruins lose hockey games, Coach will shake up the lines, so I thought I'd shake up the lines. Brad Card, regular contributor, he'll be there a week from Tuesday as we broadcast in the morning and the evening when the actual first votes in the race for the White House votes, not caucus goers, votes. And we know how to count here in New Hampshire. We'll probably have them counted that night. I remember the Iowa caucus a while ago. took them two or three days to count. Our math's better here, uh, and I'm not running for president. But we're going to have the best team of all-stars and analysts, a couple of them coming up. Brad Card, Card and Associates from the West Wing, St. Anselm College, Institute of Politics, 7 p.m. The night of the votes will be live on our network of news talk stations and streaming on the Pulse of an H. Brought to you by Denny Hebrew Group.
another uh, presenting sponsor. And uh, Matthew Bartlett, one of our great partners out there, he's at St. Anselm College, where Brad Card went years a few years ago. Darby Field Advisors, he'll be part of our primary coverage as well that day. Matthew and Brad, I'm pairing you together. Brad, center Iceman, Matthew, right wing. Take it away. Matthew, let's start with you. Brad can respond. You're there this morning. What did Senator Manchin have to say? Jack, good to join. And, and Brad, uh, good to hear you. Um, you know, you mentioned the Bruins. I don't know. Sometimes you guys go at it on radio, and um, it's like a fight during the Bruins here. Um, so maybe I'll play referee or, or jump in. Listen, left at St. A's, Institute of Politics. Senator Manchin was up. He's talking about civility and politics. He's talking about being, you know, moderate in our approach, whether, you know, getting Republicans and Democrats together. He's been doing this for the better part of a couple, you know, maybe five, ten years now. Um, the question is, are you going to do something about it? Are you going to run for president? Um, and that's unclear. He said by Super Tuesday um, we should know who the nominees were. He seemed to maybe be evaluating it, but I don't know. Um, you know, for the last two years, he was the most powerful guy in D.C., much more powerful than the other Joe, Joe Biden. Um, so, you know, if you can't, um, if you're the key person to unlocking everything in, in, in the nation's agenda and your agenda, I don't know, why run for president? A good crowd, Matthew? Um, a good, solid crowd. I've seen, I've seen larger. Um, there was a lot of security presence there um, because of, you know, the concern for the couple of protesters that showed up. Yeah, yeah for the uh, oil and gas consumption. All right, Matthew, stay with us. Brad Card, good morning. A lot happening this week. Chris Christie out. Iowa Monday, Brad. Primary here a week from Tuesday. Take it away, Brad. Yeah, note to, to Joe Manchin, if you're going to come to New Hampshire and do that at St. A's, have something big to say. I mean, more than the kind of the routine thing that he's been talking about, you want to hear some kind of announcement. <laughs> anyway, uh, look, it, 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 this is crunch time now in Iowa, right? The last time the nominee won the Iowa caucus was in 2000. Think about that, Jack. Don't forget, we had Mike Huckabee in 2008. We had Rick Santorum in 12. We had Ted Cruz in 2016. So you can make a case that, you know, whoever wins Iowa may not necessarily influence, although the question is going to be, what type of margin does Donald Trump win Iowa by? Because he's going to win Iowa. And let's face it, it, the bad weather, in my opinion, helps him. Uh, Trump voters are rabid. I mean, they just died. What, what do you, you, you agree with that, Matt? Uh, yeah, 100%. Listen, I've been telling everybody, we're at the beginning or the end. If Donald Trump blows it out in Iowa and then blows it out in New Hampshire, this race is over. I mean, there's no need to, to even talk about South Carolina and beyond. Um, you know, if Nikki Haley, it looks as if, you know, can out- outperform in Iowa or certainly here in New Hampshire, then maybe it could be a race. You know, I, I think that there could be some staying power. I don't necessarily disagree with that, but what I'll say is uh, in New Hampshire, Nikki Haley is surging. She's the only candidate that's surging, just closing any gap at all with Donald Trump, and now some polls even have her in second in Iowa. Um, that is make or break, I think, for DeSantis, because DeSantis's ship is sinking, and he needs to he needs to plug those holes, and he needs to show that he's going to be a viable candidate. It doesn't look like he's going to be a viable candidate, especially if he gets blow, blown out in Iowa. If Nikki Haley gets blown out in Iowa, I don't think it's that big of a deal because I don't think people expect her to win Iowa or expect her even to come in second place in Iowa. But if she could win New Hampshire, she certainly 
going to get a massive boost to her campaign. And that's going to show, look, Trump is nervous about her because he's running ads on her. And if he wasn't and if his campaign wasn't nervous about her, they wouldn't be pounding her like they are and spending the money that they are against her. So I, I think Nikki Haley's the one who has momentum. The question is, is it real and can she capitalize on it? But I do say there is some benefit to probably hanging around in this race, even if you're kind of a, a little annoying, kind of that little, you know, mosquito buzzing in your ear. You have Donald Trump with massive legal problems. And I don't know what's going to happen in those legal cases. And I don't know what level those legal proceedings are going to have, uh, what kind of impact they're going to have on his viability for the nomination. I think there's a lot of stuff out there. When these trials start to get going and people start hearing some of the things that he's done, and, you know, and they're reminded that he was willing. We've, we've seen in every one of these debates, People talking about taking their pledge to the Constitution and uphold and defend the Constitution. Donald Trump actually said that he could suspend the Constitution, and, 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 and that should scare everybody. So things like that, as they start to come down, you hear about some of the conduct and the behavior that the president exhibited, especially while he was in office after the election, after the 2020 election, then I think you could get maybe a change if those legal proceedings are as volatile as they might be. Yeah, I mean, listen, I think, Brad, uh, listen, I, 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 I think you got a lot of that right. And as a guy who was a Trump appointee at the State Department, I took a lot of slings, a lot of arrows, and then resigned on January 6th in utter disgust. The former president has a bunch of legal headaches, many of which were caused by himself, um, by his behavior, by the decisions he made, and they are flagrant. Um, whether it's classified materials, whether it's trying to get a bunch of fake electors to keep him in power. But let's also be clear, if he wins Iowa, New Hampshire, Nevada, South Carolina, and every single contest out there, it still remains a very hard strategy to say, I'm going to stick around and be number two because number one could go to jail. I don't see the Republican Party taking away the nomination in an ugly floor fight, even if Donald Trump is is convicted um, uh, simply because he's going to win a majority of the delegates. He's probably, you know, he could possibly win every single contest out there. And then to deny him the nomination is going to be very problematic within the party. Well, I, I look at this is going to cause problems for the party, and it already has. One thing Nikki Haley has said consistently, chaos follows Donald Trump. And what we saw yesterday in his own court proceeding yesterday, is that chaos follows Donald Trump. Uh, and, and that's just going to be a reality, and there's a distraction. And when you start looking hey, at I'm all gonna, the I'm gonna, I'm going to do world. what I do now. I'm going to throw the puck in between you two or throw up a, an elbow. Uh, and Brad says this. Like, I'll, I'll pull the shirt over your head, though. I'll get a couple good ones in. <laughs> yeah, you would. You would, and we'd have a cold one after. Uh, Matthew, Brad says that a lot, and you're hearing Governor Chris Sununu say that a lot, and Nikki Haley say that a lot. And I'm, Let me just say this, and I'm going to let you two go with this. Chaos follows Donald Trump. Big surprise. Something new, right? Chaos, legal distractions. If we want more chaos than Donald Trump. Okay. Why do so many Republican primary voters want Donald Trump if chaos is bad? Do you think that message keeps them away? No. Independent voters, it might. But I'm telling you, it doesn't seem to bear. If Trump is found guilty in the civil trial in New York City or the fine is leveled against his businesses, He's going to go out and raise more money. It helps him with his base. 
my question is, why is his base so strong if chaos is so bad? I'm not saying chaos is good, and it might not help in the general election, but I'm not sure, even if Nikki Haley comes close to New Hampshire, if Trump wins Iowa, comes close or wins New Hampshire, wins South Carolina, it's over, gentlemen. It's over. Yeah, listen, I think it's attitude and swagger, right? More than any policy, the Republican Party, the base, wants the attitude and swagger that Donald Trump talks. Um, He put politics in the vernacular. Some people find it wildly offensive. Some people find it incredibly refreshing. But for the better part of a decade, Donald Trump has been the Republican Party's political identity, and for many of these people, personal identity. So it's very hard. Um, You know, you're not going to go out there and tell them something that they don't know. What I will say, which is striking at these Nikki town halls, and I've been to almost every one of them here in New Hampshire, she'll be honest, she'll level with people and say, in the polls, Donald Trump is up between 1% and 4%. That's a coin toss. That's a margin of of error. I'm up 17%, and it's a huge round of applause. And I think MAGA Republicans understand that Donald Trump, there's an appreciation there, but there's also an acknowledgement that he's got some personal flaws flaws and failings and we did not win um you know in in the midterms we did not win in the senate and the house and, and government and she articulates winning um to the maga republicans and getting those policies in place as well as attracting and expanding bringing back disaffected republicans even some democrats right. brad final you word know, Jack, final word you're given you're given you're sticking it to the man right donald trump trump has this chip on his shoulder and he's kind of sticking it to the man and the people a lot of people like that And one thing that Donald Trump does so phenomenally well is he doesn't really give answers. And he says, you know, they ask him a question. He goes, I don't know. People tell me this is what people say. You know, we're where he. I'm not saying that, but that's what some people say. And and he gets all these. He kind of plays to everybody. Listen to him on on abortion. Um, He 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 does that. He's done that on a million issues, but he gets away with it. And it it's something of a phenomenal gift that he has to throw a bunch of bs out there um and not give real answers and not be held and and not be consistent even in the answers but people are refreshed by it because he does stand up in court you know like he did yesterday and fire full bond brand at the at the judge as if i'm going to stick it to this judge even though he's going to stick it to me and people like yeah they love that well, I don't know. I think that Nikki Haley makes some very good points about no, the I, chaos. I, 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 I don't, and when you I look don't at what's disagree. happening around the world, Jack, we are now militarily engaged around the world. I know. And, I know. And, 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 and is it a good thing to have that chaos when we are it? Yeah, but you can't, you can't blame the two wars right now and what's going on in the world on Donald Trump. He's been out of office for pretty much the last four years. Just a point there. Hey, we've got to let you both go. Go Bruins. They need to start winning, Go Brad. Bruins. They need to finish. They need to finish the game. <laughs> That's from the former coach at Georgetown Hockey, Brad Carr. Associate. Matthew Bartlett, we'll see you next week. Thank you, Matt. Live for your guy. Rory O'Neill, NBC News Radio National Correspondent. Before we bring in Senate President Jeb Bradley, uh, Rory, Oops. a frigid, chilly Iowa caucus process into Monday. Yeah, we got a new candidate on the ballot in Iowa, Jack Frost. And <laughs> we'll see just how he mixes things up. Look, because uh, Trump is ahead in the Iowa polls, 35, 40 percent, they may make a lot of people just say, oh, it's too cold out. I'm not going to bother. But, of course, we know that the supporters of the former president aren't quite 
vocal in their support. So I would look for more of a change in some of, some of the numbers for Nikki Haley or Ron DeSantis, because, again, with that same answer, if Donald Trump has the Iowa win and a walk away, you know, why am I going to bother going out in some dangerous weather for Monday night? rather? Yeah, it does look like it's a chilly one. And, uh, you know, that they're known for that. But, you know, it's, it'll, it'll be interesting to see. And then, of course, it all comes here, Rory. It all comes here a week from next Tuesday, the first real votes, the first real votes. And we know how to count here. In New Hampshire. Thank you, Rory. <laughs> Pretty quickly, too. So that'll be a lot more exciting as well. You know, and then it's, it's all a battle for second place here. Is it Ron DeSantis, who spent nearly $100 million in Iowa, little time in New Hampshire? Uh, it, you know, does it pay off? It seems that every dollar he spends in Iowa, his poll numbers go down. I think it's going to be, uh, yeah, I think it's going to be a fairly predictable finish, but we'll see. Thank you, Rory. Thanks, Jack. Have a good weekend. Senate President Jeb Bradley, Republican. Senate President joining us a little bit earlier on this Friday. Good morning, Senator. Hey, good morning, Jack. How are you? I'm I'm well. Where where do you want to start? A lot going on. A lot going on. Yeah, a lot going on. Look, I I think obviously everybody is uh, talking about the presidential primary. And, um, you know, I think Donald Trump's in a pretty good position. Uh, But so is Nikki Haley. I mean, with Christie having dropped out of the race, I think most people assume that most of his support flows to her. So I think it's going to be pretty close. But, you know, the polling seems to have the former president somewhere between 42 and 45 percent with, you know, Haley potentially at 35, 37 percent. So, you know, close. But um, I think President Trump's going to win. The one thing. Jack, I want to emphasize the Senate on Thursday is going to pass a proposed constitutional amendment, putting it on the ballot for the voters to, you know, weigh in. Do we protect the New Hampshire primary as first in the nation in our Constitution? And, you know, Daryl Abbas brought it forward. Jim Gray's Municipal and Election Law Committee voted for it unanimously. I think the Senate will again vote for it unanimously. Um, You know, we're going to stand up for our primary. I appreciate that. One quick question for you, and then a personal Senate question, or I think you lost a colleague before we talk about that, or former. Um, Iowa, Monday. Does it transfer? If Trump wins fairly big in the caucus process, if he's the top choice, and it comes, does it, does it, does it, Impact what happens in New Hampshire a week from Tuesday at all, or yes or no? Yeah, I think it does. Um, you know, I think especially if it goes differently than expected. Uh, I think, for instance, if, you know, either Haley or DeSantis come in a very strong second, that could give either one of them momentum in New Hampshire. But, uh, you know, it looks like Trump's going to get a majority in Iowa, um, over 50%. So, you know, obviously the weather is a factor. We'll have to, you know, wait and see what happens. All right. And did you, did Senator, former Senator Barnes, did I see something, someone passed away? Yeah, unfortunately, uh, Senator Barnes did pass away. I served with him for a couple of terms. Really good guy. Um, just very plain spoken, blunt, honest. Nobody fought harder for his constituents and for small businesses. Um, Jack was a great guy. Everybody liked him. Everybody respected him. Um, and he was probably a bigger Boston Red Sox fan than I was, which <laughs> that's hard to beat. 
<laughs> I said I'm going to not hold so, you because I you know it. our thoughts or prayers are with his family, and um, there's going to be a lot of tributes for Senator Barnes. All right, I know you're on the run. I'm going to let you go early. Let you off the hook this Friday. Thank you, Senator. All right, take care, Jack. Thank you. Thanks for the check-in, Senator Senate President. Jeb Bradley checking in. Josh Applebaum of VEASAN Sports Betting Radio joins us. And, Josh, before we get to the wild card weekend, I just want to let you know how he fared for last week. You went 1-5. I went 5-1. and one, And the final record, not that it counts for anything because all the records go out the window come playoff time, we're all 0-0. 49-46, oh. that was your final record. 49 and 41, that was my final record. Having that big week 18, I guess, put me to the top. But we both had the same amount of wins, 49 wins. I had 41 losses, you had 46. I don't know if I get a trophy or not, but we'll find out. Sounds good. Yeah, J-Dog, ready for you. Let's do it. Okay, there we go. Yes, here we go. So we're both 0-0 now, so here we go. It all starts tomorrow. AFC wildcard matchups, including the Cleveland Browns at the Houston Texans. And right now, as it stands, it's a 4.30 kickoff on NBC, by the way. 44.8 is the line. And right now, the Cleveland Browns have a two and a half, or minus two and a half point favorites going in. This is a first time uh, matchup, by the way. These two teams have never met in the playoffs before. There's a first time for everything. Who you got in the first game of the Saturday doubleheader, Josh? J-Dog, I'm going with the Houston Texans, okay. uh, plus two, or two and a half if you can find it. But I like this spot toward Houston. They're the number one contrarian play of the weekend. Betting against the public, to me, it's a great time to do it in the playoffs. These games are extremely heavily bet. A lot of public bias to go against. And really, the, the uh, system plays back it up. If you look at wild card dogs since 2017, they're 20-10 and against the spread, 67%. If you are a wild card dog uh, in which your opponent missed the playoffs last year, which would match with Houston, as Cleveland missed it last year, you're 12-1 and against the spread, 92% since 2017. And really, we're kind of looking at a line freeze here. You open around Cleveland minus two. At one point, it got up to Cleveland minus three. You've seen a lot of buyback uh, back toward Houston, plus three, down to plus two and a half or two. So I'll take the points. I think it could be a teaser play with Houston, you know, two up to eight, go through a couple key numbers. But i got to take this dog here. I'm going to go Texans and the points at home. I'm taking the Browns. I just think with Joe Flacco there and the defense, and there's a – a couple more playoff battle-tested players on the Browns, whether they were previously elsewhere or in Cleveland with uh, Miles Garrett a few years ago against the Pittsburgh Steelers in the wild card round. I do think playoff experience, to a degree, matters. I know it's in Houston and the place will be rocking. NRG Stadium it was rocking for the national title game, uh, however listless as it was towards the end. And it'll be rocking tomorrow at 4.30 p.m. Eastern on NBC. Now we move over to a game that's controversial because, not because it's the two teams, although the Kansas City Chiefs have become controversial over the last few months. You can thank Taylor Allison Swift for that. I actually don't, but Peacock, it's streaming because older folks, I guess, don't understand the streaming services or it's a foreign concept to them, but uh, 8 p.m., Peacock tomorrow night, the reigning defending undisputed Super Bowl champion Kansas City Chiefs host the Miami Dolphins. And they met in Germany earlier this year, and, the, and Kansas City barely came away with the victory. But this game is in Kansas City in potentially minus 6-degree weather. And the Miami Dolphins right now, along with Kansas City, uh, 42.7 is the estimated line. Right now the champs are favored minus 4.5. Who you got in the frigid temps 
of Kansas City, Missouri, tomorrow night at 8.15 p.m., Josh. J-Dog, I'm going KC here. I'm going to yep. lay the points with the Chiefs. They open around minus three, minus three and a half. They've been seamed up to minus four and a half. They're not that popular. They're only getting, at DraftKings, 55% bets with 75% of the money. So it tells me that public is relatively split. Still kind of respecting that Miami offense. If everything clicks, they are formidable. I think it's a really bad spot for Miami. You mentioned how in that uh, overseas game, you know, Kansas City barely edged them. But I think the weather is a massive factor mm-hmm. here. You mentioned it. It's going to be windy. It's going to be literally below freezing, you know, below zero. And we're looking at a Miami team from a warm weather climate going into this frigid temperature. I don't think they're going to play well, and the data backs it up. If you look at Miami since 2017, when they play a game under 40 degrees, they're 0-9 straight up, and they're 2-7 against the spread. So I like Kansas City here, used to the weather. I think maybe because they struggled a bit down the stretch, Kansas City a little bit undervalued here. Give me the Chiefs at home to win by five or more. All Miami had to do was beat Buffalo this past Sunday, and they couldn't do that. And uh, They would have gotten a home playoff game. They, they, they're, they, they, they're, they're just, they can't seem to get a home playoff game. They're always opening on the road. They were at the Buffalo Bills to open up the wild card round last year, and they almost won that, but that's besides the point. But uh, Yeah, I'm going to take Kansas City in this one. I just don't see uh, any pathway, any pathway whatsoever for the uh, Miami Dolphins. They just, again, they're just so jinxed. They just can't host a playoff game or they can't play in good weather. Them's the breaks, I guess. Next, move on to three games. A triple header on Sunday where the Pittsburgh Steelers are at the Buffalo Bills. And right now the line is 38.2. It's a 1 p.m. kickoff on CBS. And that will be, right now, the Buffalo Bills currently are minus minus 10-point favorites going in. Who you got in Orchard Park, New York, this Sunday, Josh? So I think this is a tough handicap, j Dog. I mean, if you look at the splits, Pittsburgh is getting around 56% of bets. Worries me they're a bit of a trendy dog. Uh, but we are seeing some of these minus 10s come down to minus 9.5, so it tells me that maybe Pittsburgh isn't just trendy, maybe a little respected money here. One thing that trips me up, though, when you look at wildcard home favorites since, uh, over the last two decades, if they're a big favorite of nine or more, they're nine nine and one against the spread. So that would bode well for mm-hmm. Buffalo. I'll take the points with, with Pittsburgh here plus ten because I think you might beat the closing line as it's drifting down to, to nine and a half. But J Dog, my favorite play here is the under. Under thirty five and a half. It's gonna be twenty degrees, snowing, and a ton of wind between twenty and thirty miles per hour, crosswinds, swirls up to forty miles per hour. The unders in the postseason since twenty eighteen are fifty nine percent, and when the wind blows ten miles per hour or more the under is 10 and 4, 71%. So I'll take the plus 10 for the Steelers, but I really like that under 35 and a half. I had read somewhere where whenever these two teams meet in the playoffs, one of them goes to the Super Bowl. So read into that what you will. I don't think it'll be Pittsburgh. I think this game has the potential of being what that wild card matchup between the Patriots and the Bills were at night a couple of years ago. I think it has that chance here. I, I just think the Bills are firing on all cylinders right now. The Steelers squeak to get in. Don't sleep on Mason Rudolph, though. He's been spectacular going in. But this is the playoffs. It's a little bit different of an atmosphere. Mike Tomlin knows how to handle that, though. He knows a thing or two. So, Moving on to the 4.30 p.m. game. How about this one? The Green Bay Packers at the Dallas Cowboys. This feels like the 1990s all over again, Josh. So, I'm not complaining <laughs> about that. But uh, right now, 46.7 is the line. In Arlington's AT&T Stadium, Jerry World and the Dallas Cowboys are favored minus, uh, minus seven points. The Packers have never lost in Jerry World. Who you got this Sunday? 
I'll take the points with Green Bay, J-Dog. We actually saw this line uh, open minus seven for Dallas. It got up to seven and a half, pretty much sat seven and a half with the hook for a few days. And then over the last couple days, a lot of sharp buyback on Green Bay, grabbing the hook, bringing it back down to seven. Green Bay uh, is only getting around 40% of bets, but 60% of the money. And again, a dog playing um, uh, or in the spot, uh, Dak Prescott, one in five against the spread in his postseason career. I'll put some faith in the Green Bay as a big dog in this spot. Maybe Dallas ekes, uh, ekes out a win, but I'll take Green Bay. Ideally, try to get that hook plus seven and a half. It is in my nature as a Green Bay Packers fan for now 31 years to pick against the Dallas Cowboys whenever they play the Packers. <laughs> that included the 90s, like the NFC Championship game, where that was the second game that I cried when the Packers lost, when, when they lost that AFC Championship game, the NFC Championship game in uh, January of 1996 to go to Super Bowl 30. I'm taking the Packers in this one, and I think it's going to be a close one, and I'm going to take Green Bay in that one. So, And then 8 p.m., how about this? Matty Stafford. Taking on Jared Goff, these two guys were traded for each other. The Detroit Lions host the Los Angeles Rams, and right now, the Lions, it's a 49 for the line, Lions are favored minus three. Stafford comes home to Detroit, the place where he was at the beginning of his career. Does he have a good ending, or does Detroit move on, Josh? I like Stafford. I like the Rams in okay. this one, J-Dog. I jumped on the uh, hook plus three and a half earlier this week. I'll take three now, if that's all you can get, but... Uh, these three and a have fallen down to three, so money is moving toward the Rams. Rams are only getting 60% bets, but nearly 80% of the money. In this spot, when both teams missed the playoffs the previous year, take the dog. It's 12-3 and three against the spread since mm-hmm. 2017. And playoff dogs with a line move in their favor are 17-9 and nine ATS, 65% since 2017. Also, Laporta, the really good young tight end rookie, uh, he's banged up. I don't know if he'll play or how effective he'll be. He might, I'm going to lean play. on the experience. Yeah, may not play, and that's a big detriment to that offense, J-Dog. Uh, I'll lean on the experience of McVay and Stafford. They've been in this spot before. They've won a Super Bowl. I love Campbell. He covers a lot of numbers, but this is his first rodeo in the playoffs. Uh, I'll take the plus three right now with the Rams. Now, I took the Detroit Lions to get to the Super Bowl. I'm not going to pick against them for that. That's the only reason. They are dinged up. The line, I don't I don't dispute that. Detroit is, is dinged up, but I think in a squeaker, I think this could be a classic. I think the Detroit Lions are going to win this game and move on to the second round of the playoffs. And then, just like it was last year, Josh, on uh, on a Monday night, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers were in action. They lost to the Dallas Cowboys. But now they take on another NFC East team, the reigning, defending, undisputed NFC champion Philadelphia Eagles, who have been struggling as of late. Right now, the current line is... 43.5, or 43.5, and right now, the defending, reigning, defending, undisputed... NFC champ Eagles are favored, minus three. Who you got in Central Florida on Monday night, Josh? I'm going Bucks plus three, J-Dog. Okay. I like this spot here with a key number of three. Philly, believe it or not, as much as they've struggled, public will not quit Philly. They remember them in the Super Bowl last year. You think it's just a matter of time until they turn it around. Nearly 70% of bets are laying the points with Philadelphia. But all these threes are getting juiced up like it may get back down to two and a half. Uh, again, wild card dogs have really rolled. Since 2017, 67% against the spread. Now I'm going to bank on the defense of Tampa Bay. J-Dog, they're only giving up 19 points a game. That's seventh best in the NFL. Philly's giving up 25 a game. That's 30th, nearly dead last. A.J. Brown didn't practice yesterday. He'll probably play, but how effective will he be? Uh, I think it's a spot to bet against Philly. I am happy to take Tampa Bay plus three. 
I'm only going to take Philly because I think they're going to get embarrassed next week in the playoffs. So I, then that way that we can put it to bed about the Eagles for at least the rest of the season. I don't think Nick Sirianni's on the hot seat. I know that's the scuttlebutt. I'm like, come on. Come on. He's done a <laughs> phenomenal job. I know they've slumped as of late, but overall body of work ain't too shabby. Bucks wouldn't surprise me if they won this, but I think the Eagles win this one in a squeaker. Uh, and again, I think they get embarrassed if they if they go to San Fran or Santa Clara, of course, uh, or where or Dallas. Again, it all depends on what happens. Uh, you know, if Green Bay wins, you know, this, that, and the other. But uh, or Detroit you know, again, we'll find out when when we find out. All right, Josh. So that we're clear, you have Houston, Kansas City, Pittsburgh, Green Bay, Los Angeles, and Tampa Bay. I have Cleveland, Kansas City, Buffalo, Green Bay, Detroit, and Philadelphia. There you have it. Wild card weekend picks. We'll make picks for the divisional round next Friday as well at a different time. But uh, it'll be on a Friday. That's much we do know. So, Josh, where can we find you on social media? Yeah, big weekend here, j Dog. You can find me at Josh underscore Insights on Twitter. And also, I should have been telling you this a while ago, I do The Sweat, which is a show from the DraftKings studio mm-hmm. every Saturday and Sunday morning, 8 a.m. to 10 a.m. Eastern time. Uh, that'll be on the DraftKings Twitter page as well as VEASAN.com. Stream live, but enjoy the sweats, J Dog. One of the best weekends of the year. I just want to know what you think of uh, Mayo, head coach, coach of the Patriots. <laughs> I tell you what, Jack, I'm a, I'm not surprised. Obviously, uh, you've heard for a while here that Mayo's been the guy. There's a kind of a clause in his contract that he would be taking over. I get it. It's someone familiar. It's a former player. Um, but I was actually rooting for Mike Vrabel. I, Mayo might end up being a great coach, but not much experience. Vrabel to me uh, lined up perfectly since he got let go by the Titans, but. Uh, Kraft was loyal to Mayo. Mayo's the guy. My question now is who will be the coordinators and uh, how will, who will be the GM? That's what I'm uh, concerned about next. We're going to find that out probably next week because that's when the press conference for Gerard Mayo will be as the head coach of the New England Patriots. But, uh, Josh, thanks again. We'll do this uh, next week, next Friday at a different time, and then uh, we'll have divisional round play. We're going to find out this weekend who's going and who's not. Looking forward to it, guys. Thanks so much for having me. Have a great weekend. Thanks, Josh. Coach... Mayo, how does it sound, Tom Raphael, before we get into some good community news? Well, you're, you were correct. I was not. I, I thought that uh, Belichick would convince Kraft that uh, he could take away some of his GM powers and work together, but I think Kraft had in his head that, that there was a succession plan, which is why they, can, uh, they don't have to follow the Rooney rule and they can go straight to hire him because that was the original succession plan. So players like him, it remains to be seen. They still need to get a quarterback, and as they always say, is, uh, you need the horses. <laughs> Tom Raffio, President and CEO of Northeast Delta Dental, Ra- Delta Dental, head of Delta Dental Radio, the host. Take it away, Tom, with some good news on a Friday. Sure. So I just want to let everybody know that uh, obviously we know that uh, probably the world needs um, a little bit more of uh, civics and civility. So uh, yesterday at the Concord Auditorium, uh, and I would give a big shout-out to Fred Bramante, a former chair of the State Board of Education, as I am, um, he put on, he organized a conference um, that included 30 high schools across New Hampshire, uh, close to 500 students. Delta Dental was one of the sponsors. Superintendent schools of uh, Manchester, Jen Gillis, and, Fr- and Laconia, Steve Tucker, kicked off the event. And basically, um, there was a, more to it than this, but it was basically a lot of students talking about the importance of civics and civility. So our plan 
um, Jack, is to do this every year. There was a little focus this year, too, on explaining how the New Hampshire primary works. Um, so uh, we had uh, Fred and Sean McDonald from uh, WMER explaining, helping the audience understand how the New Hampshire primary works. So that was a, that was part of could, this. Could, could they explain it to the DNC, the National Democrats? <laughs> great, great point. Well, they actually would have, uh, to me, they did such a convincing job, they would have convinced me uh, if I was on the Den- Democratic National Committee. So uh, so that's what's going on um, on the civic side. And it was just, I put a big smile to my face because Fred had this idea uh, about a year ago and to see it uh, come to uh, fruition w- was amazing. And then uh, and then um, on, the, on the running front, um, Sunday we have what's called the uh, Snowflake Shuffle, and it's going to be in Bedford. And it's one of my favorite races of the year. Starts the new year because, uh, case in case you didn't know, Jack, for the Millennium Running Series for 2023, with with um, um, the uh, age group and with all my participation, I actually won the age group for uh, my age group, which is 40, 40 and younger. I wish, but basically that. But it, it definitely uh, demonstrates again that. Uh, um, that showing up is ninety ninety percent of life. So, uh, in any event, that's the scoop. And then we'll have our usual um, Delta Dental Radio this weekend. And uh, thank you for uh, calling the attention of the oral health needs of veterans. Veterans, keep calling me. I've, I'm taking five to ten calls a week. Two two three thirteen hundred. The generous board of directors of Delta Dental established three hundred thousand dollars this year instead of 200,000 because the need is so great and I will get I will get in studio at some point and and explain it a little bit a little bit further than that because Medicaid they're also eligible for Medicaid and that's going well so I'll see my running friend Sunday and again thanks to all the high school students who really participated authentically yesterday in Concord Jack thanks for what you do as well to get the word out appreciate you no problem well who's your guest on the radio show we have uh, Tom Hooper um, who is the uh, 603 head um, of all the different trail races, you know, that are in New Hampshire. Okay. So he does he does a Good great stuff. job. So. All right. Alrighty. Thank you, Tom. All righty. Thanks.